Hey, uh, welcome everyone. My name's Scott, and uh, very glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. We are continuing in a study of the book of Ephesians uh, and looking at the second half of chapter 2, where Paul is going to be talking about a distinct and wonderful unity uh, that we have in Christ, but one that is not easy, of course, as unity is almost never easy. But let's look. Will um, join me in looking at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It'll be on the screen, and I'll read it for us. Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, and that was a pejorative term. That was um, meant to be pejorative, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands of, uh, by flesh, remembering that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you <clears throat> who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Becky and I, uh, my wife Becky and me, we have uh, three sons. Our oldest is Jacob. He's married to Lauren, and they live in New York City. Um, We have Carter, who is a senior in college. He goes to a school called Covenant College. It's in Georgia. And we have a junior in college named Zach, uh, who also goes to that same college. Uh, And he's, uh, yeah, and and last year they were roommates, which was incredible. And uh, the thing, I'm about to brag a little, and I don't mean it in terms of bragging, but more in terms of just like huge Thanksgiving, okay? Because uh, we raised three boys Okay, and if, if you have children, especially uh, boys, like there were times, you guys, where we would beg God over and over, would you help them like each other and love one another someday? Because phrases like idiot and, you know, the Bible has some warnings about calling your brother a fool, right, in the, in the Gospels, like uh, just the competitiveness, the, the arguing, the bickering, the, uh, and, and we beg God, please, Lord, let them be friends, and now it seems miraculous. They are the best of friends. Uh, they, they were roommates. Zach and Carter were roommates last year. And um, just the amount of love they have towards one another. One of them, I can't remember if Zach or Carter said to me, I sometimes forget that I'm not 
my brother. Like, like that we're so unified like twins. They're not twins, but they're so connected like twins are, are connected that sometimes I forget where I end and he begins. Like we're so, I just love him so much. And amazing. This, in a couple of weeks, our son Carter, uh, our daughter-in-law is going to be out of town. And so Carter's going to New York to hang out with Jake and they will have an amazing time together because they love each other so much. But friends, I'm telling you, this was not always the case, right? And this is a work. But what I'm saying, for me and Becky, this brings us an enormous amount of joy. We have so many concerns about our sons and so many things that we worry about, but we're just so grateful that they love each other. And if, if we as human parents feel that joy, I just want you to think about how much the father longs for the church that he paid for by the precious blood of his own son. He longs for the church to be unified, right? He longs for the church to not be fractured or divided, but one, one in Christ, the more you have in common with someone, obviously, the more you're likely to have unity. I mean, unity is, comes easy with people that you're similar with. Uh, the more you agree on something, have similar interests, uh, see the world the same way, have similar life experiences, or grew up in a similar culture or whatever, it's the sameness that can make relationships easier. But Paul is preaching a unity um, that is counterintuitive, and it wouldn't work if it weren't for the gospel. He's preaching into a place and calling for unity among two groups of people where there should be no unity, the Jews and the Gentiles. He's preaching the good news that because of Jesus, there's no longer a dividing wall that separates the two of them. They're now one. That in Christ, they have one spirit, one baptism. They're being built up into one temple. They have one spirit. The very Holy Spirit is theirs. They're one. And he didn't say that would be an easy thing, did he? Uh, if you remember in the book of Acts, he gets in uh, the apostle Peter's face. Like we're talking about Peter, the, the rock, right? The one uh, that was with Jesus, you know, the right hand of Jesus. Paul gets in his face and says, you're not living in line with the gospel by the way you're treating the Gentiles. While God set his affection on Israel, you know, this is God's story. He began with a man named Abraham. He called Abraham to himself, said, come walk with me. And it says, Abraham believed God and God credited his faith as what? Do you remember? righteousness. And so salvation in Israel did not begin by works and the law. It began by grace through faith alone. The first Jew that followed God, Abraham, was made right with God on the basis of grace through faith alone. The law was added later. He calls Abraham to himself. He begins to build a people. He has Isaac. He has Jacob. Jacob has uh, these sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. God then later brings the law, later brings the kings, and bu builds this people, right? Israel is meant to be God's grace and covenant promises to the world. But like many of us, Israel has grown cold towards the world and become very distinct unto themselves, the frozen chosen, like many of us can be if we're not careful. And 
But God is calling the world to redemption through this people, ultimately, right, in bringing the Messiah through the people of Israel and fulfilling what God told Abraham is, I will be a blessing to you in order that you and your people be a blessing uh, to the entire world, ultimately the Messiah. And most of us can't relate to this hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles of that day, but we can relate to the problem of fractured relationships, fractured churches, and divided people. Maybe more than ever, at least in my lifetime. And Paul is calling us uh, to remember two things. He says, I want you to remember who you were, and then I, I really want you to remember who you are. Who you were and who you are. First, remember who you were. And, and Paul has this um, rhetoric, this way of teaching uh, that he likes to begin with, I'm going to tell you some really bad news first in order that you can appreciate how good the good news. He just did it last week, right? In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You're not just drowning, you've drowned. You're not just sick, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And, and it's so bad that God had to revive you completely and resurrect you from the dead spiritually. Like Paul, and then he says, but, but then, right? But then God's rich and lavish mercy has been poured out to you. So he likes to begin with the bad news. So he's asking us first to remember who you were as Gentiles in Ephesus before the gospel, before he preaches the good news. First, he says, you were alienated from God's people. Remembering. Memories are a powerful force, aren't they? Your memory. They can enslave us in guilt and shame. Uh, they can bring us grief but they can also be a source of healing and they can also motivate us. And Paul calls the Ephesians to remember who they were before the gospel came into their life in order to make them a thankful and humble people and a people of peace. And one of the most tragic results of sin is, is the alienation and, and the fractured and broken relationships that exist. We're alienated at times from people that are just different uh, from us in any way. If you're older, you feel alienated from younger people. If you're younger, you can feel alienated from older people. We're alienated along lines of race and culture and ethnicity. We are divided because of political ideology and idolatry. We're alienated by class along socioeconomic lines. We are estranged from former friends and family. It's just, it's should not be, but it is the world where we live. And God is calling us to more. He's calling to leave it behind. He then goes on to say this, you're alienated from God. You're alienated from God's people and you're alienated from God. He said this in verse 12, you were separated from Christ. He's asking us, remember how bad the bad news is without the gospel. He then says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, God's people. Without the gospel, they were alienated from the people of God, and Israel was the instrument of God's grace in the world. Stranger to God's covenants, he describes it. Um, these are the promises of God. And he, it gets worse. He says, you were without hope and without God in this world. That's how bad it was. And this is our condition without the gospel, alienation, strangers, without hope, 
without God in the world. This is where the Gentiles were until God's victorious work in Jesus, breaking down the walls of hostility and and pouring out his covenant of grace, not just on the people of Israel, but for the whole world. And this was always his plan, that through Israel, the entire world would be blessed. Now, some of you grew up in church. You came to faith early. Like Becky's story of faith is like, I I, I remember trusting in Jesus as a little girl, and I just don't remember this crisis of faith. I don't remember unbelieving. I've just, I've just believed. That's what we want for our kids, right? I literally pl- pray over our children, everyone that we baptize, that they would never know a day without walking with God, and they, that you know, they would look to Jesus by faith. That's what we long for. We long for our kids to just grow up knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, being loved by the church, trusting the church, having a good experience, knowing Jesus. But some of you can remember what it was like uh, without God in your life. Because maybe you came to faith later in life, or maybe you had a crisis of faith and came to the gospel later in life. I remember a little bit of what that was like coming to faith in high school. Paul is asking us to remember. He's saying to these Gentiles, remember what it was like in order, why? So that you may stay humble. You need a humility. If you're going to have any sense of unity with people that are different than you, you have to approach them with humility and and the understanding that if it weren't for God, I would have nothing when it comes to my spiritual life. And brothers and sisters, this is what we need right now more than ever. A humility born out of remembering how much you need Jesus. That any righteousness you have, any goodness that you have, any morality that you have, any acceptance you have with God is all grace. We, we talked about that last week. It's all grace. So that no one may boast. And so we can't boast on our righteousness. We can't boast on our good deeds. We can't boast on our morality, our wealth, our looks, our power, our influence. Whatever it is that you look to as an identity, it's, it's worthless ultimately. And it's all, it's all grace. And if we would approach one another as as folks who have been forgiven an enormous debt, an infinite debt, then we would have an infinite amount of love towards God and other people. The next thing Paul calls us to, and it's much better news, is to remember who you are. Who you were and now who you are in the gospel. Brought near through the blood, he says. You who were far off are now brought near, near by the blood of Christ. Our sin has isolated us and put distance between us and God, but the gospel breaks down that alienation and brings us close to him, so close that we're invited in the very living room of God. We are his children. We are his sons. We are his daughters. Why the blood? If you're newer to Christianity, there's all this blood talk. There's, we sing about the blood. Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. Have you ever thought about how ghastly that hymn is? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Uh, we have a cross on our, our wall. We, we have crosses around our necks. The blood is a significant part of our faith, but it is a little off-putting if you're newer to the faith. What is this talking about? In the ancient Near East, <clears throat> if you made a covenant relationship between someone, like think in terms of a contract, like you want to purchase land or you want to do something contractually, you would make a covenant with someone and they would do it in blood. 
They would take a bull or a goat or even a small animal and they would cut it in two and then they would walk through the pieces that were cut in two and say, if I break my side of the covenant, may that happen to me. And the other person would do the same thing. It's disgusting, but that's how they did it. Now, in in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant relationship with Abraham, and he has Abraham take all of these animals and do just that very same thing, uh, split them in two, and then he has this like vision where he sees God passing through the two things, not both parties, just God passing between the animals. And so what God is saying in Genesis 15, if I break this covenant, which is God going to break his covenant? <laughs> no. But if I break this covenant, may this happen to me, but even more significant and mind-blowing is what God, God is saying, if you break this covenant, may this happen to me. Foreshadowing the need for the blood of Christ to atone for our sin as covenant breakers. The blood has brought us near. The cross has brought us near. Remember who you were far off, but now brought near. And we have to remember both. If this, this applies to so many issues spiritually, you need humility and great confidence at the same time. I mean, isn't that what health looks like? a humble knowledge of like who you are, able to walk in these doors and truly confess your sin from the heart weekly as we confess our sins and are assured of our pardon and be open and honest in our relationships. This is where I am. This is where I'm broken. This is where I'm fallen. But to do that, to truly open up your life and say, this is the brokenness that exists. Don't you have to be secure? If you feel insecure, uh, isn't it a terrifying thing to say, this is what's true of me? But if, if you're really secure, you can say, this is what's true of me because this is what is also true of me. This is what is sad about me. This is what's sinful about me. This is what's bad about me. But this is also true. I'm brought near through the blood of Christ. Not just near like vicinity, like in the living room near, sons and daughters, near. It's a painful thing to have to admit that even though you've walked with Jesus all these years, that you're still a sinner, but you're, you're, still, you're still a child. Amen? And you need both of those things. And if you hold these two things together, both humbled and secure at the same time, there is hope for unity. Because I can enter into a relationship with you and, and we're not gonna have to agree on everything because I can be humble towards you and love you even if we're different in some ways. And we have a different experience and a different view of the world in some ways because Jesus is our Lord and he's brought us near. Next, Paul preaches this. The Jews and the Gentiles are one in Christ. There is therefore, uh, there is no separation between the two at all. Uh, But friends, the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews. And, And I know culturally it's hard for us to enter into this story and get it. But I want you to think of some of the divisions that are happening in our own society, but then I want you to amplify it a lot more. Add thousands of years of history, okay? So our, our culture has only been fighting a little for a long time, but a lot for a little time. Imagine thousands of years of disputes and division and anger and wars and enslavement and all these things, right? The Jews were carted off by the Gentiles in slavery and on many occasions and... and <laughs> And there was wrongs done uh, in, in both directions. 
Now, Jesus is saying, in, Jesus, in Christ, Paul is saying, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, and this dividing wall has been broken down, and they're now one. And, and the dividing wall most likely might be in reference to the temple where there's a wall dividing where the Gentiles could go into the court of the Gentiles in the temple, but they couldn't go beyond that area of the temple into the inner part of the temple, which would represent the very presence of God. Uh, Jesus flipped tables and, and, and got really angry in that same court because they turned it into a marketplace instead of a place that outsiders, the foreigners, could come close to God and be, be entering towards the gospel, right? Jesus was furious about that. But the temple, there was this dividing wall. There was even a, an inscription on the wall, the outward courtyard of the temple, warning Gentiles to not enter. But Jesus broke down the dividing wall through his fulfillment of the law and through his death, it's been destroyed. God's people are now one humanity, he says. They're becoming one man, a new humanity through grace. He goes on several times to say, Jesus is our peace. He is peace to those who are far away, and he is peace to those who are near. He's the answer. A lot of theology, I'm going to get off for just a second, a little tangent. A lot of theologies teach there's two different tracks of salvation. There's two different ways for people to get to God. You can either be a Jew or you need to accept Jesus or that God has a different plan for the church and a different plan for Israel. But Paul says, no, there's one plan. It is through Jesus. It is through him. It's through the Messiah that we are made one. And we are not divided. There are two plans. There's one plan. It's through Christ. Now, He says this, Jesus is our peace, our shalom. He's peace for the Jews. He's peace for the Gentiles. And the Old Testament understanding of peace or shalom is much more than the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Instead, it's the presence of well-being. It's the presence of peace and shalom. So peace isn't simply the absence of war. It's the presence of human flourishing around the living God. Peace isn't simply the absence of vengeance or retribution, but it's, it's the presence of forgiveness and reconciliation and love. Why is it so important to remember who you were? Separated, alienated, no hope, and without God. And it really is important, friends, for us to remember that even if you're someone who grew up in the church, to remind yourself that without Jesus, this would have been true of me. Because friends, it is so easy to slip into pride and legalism and religion and self-righteousness and self-justification and to believe that somehow we are special just in and of ourselves, that we are the frozen chosen, that God just, it's us, it's not about grace, like we deserve this somehow. But when we remember who we were, we are admitting our own sinfulness and admitting that we have nothing that we can boast in at all. And that frees us to bring peace and humility. Why is it important to remember who you were? Why is it important to remember who you are? They're both important because it's so easy to slip into guilt and despair and shame and believe that there's no way that grace is true for you. If I said last, last week something like, you know, it's so easy for us to believe that grace is true for you and you and you and you. It's so hard to believe that it's true for me, right? 
Sometimes I think we have greater faith in the gospel for others than we do for ourselves. But here is what the gospel says to you just from this passage. I mean, not, not even the rest of the Bible, just these 11 verses. <laughs> you ready? Are you ready? All right, let's go. <laughs> you are brought near to the blood of Christ. He is our peace. You're reconciled to God through the cross. You have access to the Spirit of God, the very Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He is with you. You are fellow citizens. And the greatest of identities, much greater than any earthly identity. They were finding their identity as citizens of Israel or, or citizens of Rome, but they're citizens of the kingdom of God, members of the household of God in a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That's just from this passage, and I think I've missed some stuff. <laughs> that's, that's so good. And so in light of who you were and who you are, what are the implications regarding our relationships and what are the opportunities that we have as a church to enter into this divided time, this fractured time where the church uh, is, is dividing more and more, what opportunities do we have to shine the light of Jesus and say, we're called to be one? Church, New Valley uh, in particular, New Valley, we've been spared a lot of the divisions. And I thank God for you. Uh, I just heard a statistic, and I don't know what the statistic is exactly true, but Barna has said something along the lines of 47% of all pastors are th currently thinking about quitting uh, right now. And there's probably 100 reasons why, but there's one primary one. It's because of the divisiveness and the fracturing and the arguing that has happened so much in the last four to five years. I'm thankful that we have, we have not experienced the same amount of divisiveness and fracturing in this congregation, but friends, it, it'll be only through the gospel if it remains. We, we have another election coming soon. We have another one coming in two years. We have all, uh, everything in the news is gonna be cranking us up to fight, to be angry, to be bitter toward, towards fractioning. But friends, uh, we, we can enjoy unity if these things are true of us remembering who we are, remembering who we were, and, and living into this and, and being a foil to the divisiveness. What an opportunity. We need a great humility and a great security as opposed to insecurity to live out the calling and to be the church unified in one body, one baptism, one spirit, one people of God. And we can rejoice in our differences, even though it's hard. Even though it can be difficult, we see the world in so many different ways. We need to be humble and secure at the very same time. Loving people who are different than you is difficult, really difficult, but Jews were coming to faith in Jesus and Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus and I don't think we can understand how difficult that was. And yet Jesus says, you're one. Some of you have a hard time believing that Republicans can be in the kingdom of God, and some of you have a hard time believing that Democrats are going to be in the kingdom of God. But friends, like, I promise you, our divisions are so small compared to what existed there. And Paul is saying, there, be unified. You're one. In Psalm 133, it says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell 
in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down to the collar of his robes. And this imagery is so beautiful and so motivating because it's just so practical and I can relate to it so much. I mean, who doesn't want a big bucket of oil just poured all over your head, just running down over your beard? A couple of you got some pretty big beards, like maybe that's a good thing. So culturally, that doesn't work for me, but how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity? It, it pleases Scott and Becky. How much more should it please the father when his children, who are so different from one another, love one another? Not because of a common culture or common upbringing or a common voting record or common whatever it is, but to say, and no, in spite of those things, we love, we love one another. What will you do with this today? Maybe there's someone you need to call and repent to, seek forgiveness from. What situation do you need to apply this towards? Are you mindful of the voices that are in your head right now? Every once in a while, Becky will interrupt my podcast listening and be like, is this really helping you and your joy? And I'll be like... Yeah, yes, and maybe, and no, probably. What voices are, are in your head right now forming you? Who are you reading? Who are you watching? Who are you listening to? I heard a pastor recently say, like, one of his frustrations is, he's like, I, I feel like I get my people's attention for one hour a week, maybe. In Arizona, we're lucky to get you guys, you know, a couple times a month, so thank you for being here. But but cable news is getting you 10 hours a week or whatever podcast or whatever your input is, whatever is fueling your fear or your concerns. And as pastors, our concern is let the gospel be the lens through which you see everything and not the other way around. It's our only hope towards unity, towards love. Are these voices moving you towards love and good deeds or polarization, fear, and anger? Brothers and sisters, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall between us. There was hostility between us and God, but there is no longer. In place of hostility, Jesus has brought us peace. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts long for there to be reconciliation in relationships and for there not to be divisions. We, we pray, Lord, for the church in this moment, for the body of Christ in America and in the West and around the world, that, that your spirit, who is working in every believer, would draw us to union in you, humility towards one another, and a confidence in who we are as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.